So today we're going to be taking a break from the book of 1 John. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, kids, hopefully you can remember where that's at. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Because you've learned those books in the books of the Old Testament. We sang songs about it in Awana. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. And uh, the reason we are here this week, uh, it's in preparation for an event that takes place this Saturday, uh, the National Day of Prayer. And the hope of this message is to encourage you and to encourage myself to make sure that we pray for our nation, for God's blessings and for God's forgiveness on our land. Uh, this coming Saturday, evangelical leaders from around the, the globe, the country, are going to meet in the mall in Washington, D.C. to pray for America. And it's an event that's known as The Return. Um, if you'd like to know more about that, it's called TheReturn.org, and you can find that. There's going to be a lot of speakers. Uh, there's things that take place on Friday night uh, through Saturday. And uh, it, the, the, the thing is, is whatever happens to our nation happens to us. It affects us. And we're going to look at a story in the Bible today where Daniel, he's in Babylon, and he's in captivity that due to something that has absolutely nothing to do with himself, he's reaping the consequences of what the nation did before him. And, uh, and just knowing that, I just want to look into that and see what did Daniel do? Did he complain? Did Daniel whine? Did Daniel point fingers? We're going to find today that Daniel didn't do any of those things. Daniel prayed for his nation, which is exactly what we need to do for our nation as well. So with that in mind, let's, let's pray again and ask God's blessing on uh, this message that he has given us to look at today. God, I thank you for your grace. God, we, none of us deserve it. Our whole nation doesn't deserve it. God, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. But God, you've shown us grace and love and kindness and forgiveness in ways that we don't even always acknowledge. God, we know that our country is, is on a downward turn and a downward spiral that's choosing to walk away from you. And God, I just pray that you would change the direction. You would change our hearts. You would change the hearts of your people across America. And you would change the hearts of the people who don't know you or love you at all right now that they would decide to make you Lord of their life. And you would help our nation to turn back to you. God, I, as we look in Daniel today in chapter 9, I pray that you would show us a better understanding of what a nation's sin can do to a country. And, and you would help each of us to do our part to make sure that we pray. Uh, to, for the sake of our country. Uh, thank you, God, for your grace. I pray, God, as I open up my mouth to share this message, I pray that it comes out as you want it to. And I pray for your help to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we all know, I'm sure from experience, that I reap the consequences of my own actions. I reap what I sow. Hopefully you won't ever be able to admit to these things, but a kid who doesn't study for a test, a kid who doesn't show up for school very often, uh, who goes and takes a test, might end up with an F because he has not prepared himself for the class. And he's reaping the consequence of what, he, uh, of what, his, uh, what decisions that he's made. Um, some people in here have been bosses. Um, I've never been in that kind of position, but maybe you found yourself on the firing end. Hopefully you haven't found yourself on the, the end of being fired. You know, people get fired all the time. I didn't show up on time regularly when I was at work. I didn't work very hard. The boss says, you know what, Josh, it's your last chance. You're fired. 
I've never been fired. Hopefully that is a record I can keep going. But that's, that can happen. But what I will admit to that I've admitted to before was speeding down the road, driving 80 and a 70. I got the consequences of my actions, which was a ticket. And I think we all understand that. We all can accept that I reap what I sow. Good or bad, I'm going to get what my consequences deserve. But sometimes you reap the consequences of what other people sow. Uh, this first picture is, is wine and alcohol. Uh, you, you think about the unborn baby inside the mother's womb. Has no choice about what it intakes. It's whatever mom eats or drinks affects the baby. And there are little kiddos that have uh, dealt with the consequences of the decisions that the mother made. Uh, I've, I've learned that even the father has played a part in that. In the, the procreation, if he's got alcohol in his system, that can affect the baby as well. A friend of mine back home when I was in high school was the dad of, of that kind of situation. This little kid is reaping the consequences of somebody else's poor decisions. Uh, you think about somebody who has been killed by uh, a drunk driver. They're reaping the consequences of somebody else's bad choice. And let's just say it happens to be one of you. It's not just affecting you. It's affecting your whole family. It's affecting your whole church. It's affecting your jobs. If that ha happens, but it was no choice of yours, you just happened to be on the road at the same time that this driver was on the road. You reap the consequences of someone else's actions. The same way with a boss. If you have a boss that makes lots of poor choices, it does not just affect him. Ultimately, when his business closes, his, his decisions are impacting other people. Uh, no longer do they have a job there. They have no, no employment. They have to look elsewhere. And that job could have been a lifeline for that person, and it can have ramifications beyond what they ever dreamed possible. So sometimes we, we deal with the consequences of other people's actions. And today we're going to be looking in the book of Daniel, and Daniel, poor guy, is dealing with the consequences of other people's actions. The nation of Israel has chosen to walk away from God, to choose other gods to follow, and, and Daniel finds himself in Babylon as a result of that action. <clears throat> so first of all, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. This is the consequence. This is the punishment for the actions of other people that Daniel has to deal with. Daniel chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, but just verse 2 is listed there. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of the, his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. During that whole time, there are people who have been hauled off to Babylon. Daniel was one of the people who was hauled off in the first deportation to Babylon. And before we look a little bit more at the 70 years, I want to look at the kind of character that Daniel had. Daniel was a, a, a guy of quality. If anybody deserved to be dealing with somebody else's consequences, it should not be Daniel, but that's where he finds himself. Uh, when, you, when you look at Daniel's life, I, we all know the stories about Daniel. There, you don't find any flaws. I, I know he wasn't perfect, but you don't find any flaws in here where somebody has to rebuke Daniel and tell him to get his act together. He, he kept short accounts with God when he did sin. He, and so he was considered a very righteous person. Uh, as soon as he gets to Babylon, he gets his first temptation, his first chance to prove what he's made of. He's there with all these other young men who are bright and 
handsome and, and quality people, and they're given food to eat. And the first thing Daniel says is, wait a second, I really don't want to eat those foods. You know, most kids are like, the cat's away, the mice are going to play, right? I'm going to be somewhere where I'm probably never going to see my parents again. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Daniel, at this point, is about the age of 16, right? I'm starting to become free. I'm getting my, my freedom. I'm away from my parents. He says, you know what? I'm still going to follow what God wants me to do. And so instead of eating all this delicious food, you think about that barbecue smell that you just, you, you, you smell it and you want to go eat there. Picture that's what's going on all around Daniel. And Daniel says, you know what? We're going to, me and my three friends, we want to do something different. We want to try drinking water and eating vegetables. Anybody here like that option? No, any, no. I, nobody here wants that. If I can have a steak or a salad, I'm choosing the steak every time. But Daniel was so quality that he says, it's okay. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm going to follow what my God has determined that I should do. Throughout Daniel's years of service, he was a man of quality. He, he served through various different kings. And you find in verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that Daniel was so righteous, and other people didn't like Daniel for being so righteous, that they had to they kind of had to find something stupid in order to finally convict Daniel of going against the law, which was praying to anybody else besides the king. Uh, but before that, verses 3 and 4, it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Quality man, his whole time in captivity, Daniel was all about doing what God wanted him to do. Verse 4 says, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds of, for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Everything about Daniel was good and pleasing and upright before the Lord. And Daniel is a guy who finds himself in captivity based off the decisions of people before him. <clears throat> he's reaping those consequences. You know, Jeremiah the prophet, the book that was written before Daniel, uh, then uh, Jeremiah was preaching for 23 years before this actually took place, before Daniel was hauled off. Daniel was 16 years old, approximately, when he got hauled off to prison. So you have um, a, a lot of years where Jeremiah has been preaching before Daniel is even, even old enough to have even a clue of what his nation is doing. Most 16-year-olds don't know what's going on, I don't believe, like with our government and with the world problems. And they don't have any, uh, it's not their fault that those kinds of things are happening. And so that's Daniel. He was just a baby who was born. He's growing up. He's learning everything that he's supposed to. But he's doing nothing to affect what is happening around his nation. That's the kind of person, that's the kind of timing of Daniel's life. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 9 through 11 this is what is promised about the 70 years of captivity. Uh, Jeremiah writes, I will summon all the people of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. This is what Jeremiah is preaching to these people for 23 years. If you guys don't get your act together, there are going to be consequences. Verse 11, the whole country will become desolate wasteland and the nations will, be ser will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Daniel didn't know that when he first went to Babylon. 
it says in verse 1, or I mean verse 2, while he's there, he's looking, he's reading some letters, and he comes across this information that he's going to be stuck there. This is why he's there. And he's been in Babylon now for about 65 to 68 years of a 70-year sentence that he did not ask for, that he did not deserve. And Daniel didn't decide to say, look at those people. I can't believe those people. It's your fault that we're here. It's your fault. And sit there and pout about it. What does Daniel do? Daniel prays for his nation. He knows he's got, 70, he's got about two more years to go. But he says, I'm going to pray for my people anyway. You know, we in our country are reaping right now the consequences for actions that we did not do. We as a nation uh, are, are a nation that doesn't love God, that doesn't want anything to do with God. You know, we're not in a situation where God says, if you don't listen to America, I'm going to destroy, destroy your country. You're not going to find that in the Bible. It doesn't say, USA, if you don't get it together, some, some city or country from the north is going to come take you back captive to Canada. We don't, know, we don't get those kinds of warnings for America. But we still reap the consequences for what our nation decides to do. And if it's going to be good, we're going to reap the, the, the blessings of what our nation does. If it's bad, we're going to reap the consequences of what our nation does. And we are kind of at, a, I feel like, a pivotal, pull, a pivotal point in our nation's history, in our country, for where we are going to go. We're going downhill really, really fast, and it's only going to get worse if we don't pray and God does not stop what is going on. So what was it that was causing the nation to turn to, uh, our, to, to reap these consequences? What are the sins that they are doing? Verse 5. It's actually verse 5 through 8 and 10 through 15. It says, first of all, we have sinned and we have done wrong. He's admitting we have done wrong against God. Now, was Daniel one of those people that caused his problem? No, Daniel wasn't perfect. He kept short accounts with God. He might have reaped the consequences for his sins, but he had nothing to do with what was going on out there. But he's saying, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Verse 5 says, um, we have been wicked and we have rebelled. Uh, they weren't rebelling against a tyrant. They weren't rebelling against a dictator. They weren't rebelling against a bad leader. Uh, they were rebelling against God. The God who warned them, the God who chose them, the God who loved them. Uh, verse 4 and verse 9, we read a little bit of what Daniel, how he des describes God. He says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He's saying God is a loving God. And this is who they're revolting against. This is who they're choosing to go against. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. These are the people uh, that God's people are turning against God who loves them, who is patient, who is loving. Verse 6 says, they have disobeyed. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of our king. Or, it, I'm sorry, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. They disobeyed the prophets. They ignored them. They treated them poorly. They went against them. They heard with their ears, but they did not obey. Jeremiah, for 23 years, was preaching through this book, uh, or preaching this message to the people. He's called the weeping prophet. He was told, people are not going to listen to you, but you have to do it. They'll tell them anyway. 
You read through the book, he's crying, he's mad, he, I think he's frustrated, and he's, but he keeps preaching this message, and these people are treating him poorly, even though he's trying to give them God's message. These people were unfaithful. Verse 7, the Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. There's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11, that, that talks about this is how bad it got when they were re, uh, rejecting God. This is what God says to Jeremiah the prophet. It says, has a nation ever changed its God? You go to a country, they've always had that certain God, and they keep that God. But he says, has a nation ever changed its God? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their, their glory for worthless idols. They have the true and the living God, and they say, you know what, I'd rather worship Baal. I'd rather worship that God. I'd rather try to please that statue than the living God who chose us, that so we have this heritage, all, all this whole history of what God has done in our life. We don't want to choose him. We want to choose everything else. They were very unfaithful, and they refused to be obedient. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your laws, and have turned away, refusing to obey you. They refused. They said, we do not want to do this. Jeremiah 25, verse 3, 23 years, he's preaching this message, and they say, I do not care. Shut up. Leave me alone. And, and God's not going to do what you're saying he's going to do. God's punishing these people. And you would think that would make them open up their eyes and say, okay, I'm going to obey you now. I'm getting it. I'm reaping my consequences. Verse 13 to 14, they maintain their sinful lifestyle even though they're being punished. It says, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, Yet we have not obeyed. What is it going to take for these people to finally say, okay, I surrender. You are God. I'm going to follow whatever it is that you're asking me to do. They reap the consequences of what their actions deserve. They've been pre preached to. They've been prophesied about what's going to take place. And they say, neener, neener, neener. I don't care. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to take my chances. And our nation is the same way. We are not, God didn't promise certain things in the Bible to us that we're going to be hauled off to Canada or down to Mexico, but our nation is exactly the same way. We have the true and living God, but we as a nation have kicked, out, have kicked God out of everything. We've kicked him out of our schools. We've kicked him out of our government, out of our sports. We've kicked God out of our family. We've kicked God out of our entertainment. Anything and everything as a nation, we've said, go away, God. I want nothing to do with you. We as a nation are wicked and turning against God. This God who, is, who promises love and forgiveness and grace, if we will turn to him, we as a nation say, no, thank you. We as a nation are not following God's commands. You, you guys know this. Every lifestyle is okay. It's a matter of preference. It's a matter of choice. 
I can't tell you that this is right or this is wrong. There's no absolute truths anymore. We as a nation have not listened to warning signs, biblical or otherwise. You think about, uh, the Bible talks about creation is groaning because of, all, uh, because of all the sins of this world. And it's just getting worse and worse. I'm not saying God's punishing parts of the world with those things. I don't feel like that's fair to say, boy, that's poor those people in the South. They must have really been bad. But those are warning signs that the, the end is getting closer. Jesus is coming back. We are going to die. You never know. This, this winter, we may have the worst winter in the history of the world, and we might be going through our own warning sign. You have no idea. But what is going on all around our world is a warning sign. We need to get our lives right with the Lord. And we as a nation have kept our simple lifestyles despite the consequences. We have reaped the consequences of our own personal decisions. We have reaped the consequences of, of, the, of our nation's decisions. At the, the Promise Keepers thing that uh, maybe some of you watched, maybe this will be old hat to you, uh, there was a preacher who started talking about our country leads the world in a lot of categories. And, and some of those are good, but a lot of those are bad. And I'm going to give you a list here of, uh, there's, there's more than these, uh, but I'm, I'm, these are some of the top negative things that our country leads the world in. And it's the consequences of kicking God out, of saying we don't want God in our world anymore. We lead the world uh, with having the number of people in jail. You can say, well, that's good because that means we have cops that are putting people in jail. But the fact that they need to put people in jail, why is that? Why do we, have, why do we lead the world in that? Why do we lead the world in watching TV? Which we're tied for first, I think, with Great Britain. Now, looking at that, you think, okay, that's kind of like, yeah, it's borderline. But if people are, if we're leading the world and watching TV, then I think that's the idea is that we're, we're taking time away from God because we're so glued to what that TV is telling us. We lead the world in the divorce rate. We lead the world in porn production. 89% of that stuff comes from America. The whole rest of the world, uh, all like 7 billion of them, make up 11% of that production. Us 360 million make up 89%. Why? Why do we do that? Our total crime. We lead the world in total crime. Not, not proud of this. We lead the world in child abuse death rate. Parents or aunts or cousins or somebody who's taking out their anger and their frustration on some kid to the point of death. We lead the world in illegal drug use. We lead the world in teen pregnancy. Why? We lead the world in reported murders and deaths. That one you could say maybe we don't lead the world in total number, but even the fact that we're thought of as in the top categories, we lead the world in car theft. Why? And that's not even to think about the things that are bad that our, our country is probably in the top five that we don't lead in, like suicides. We're, I'm sure we're up there. Abortions. I'm sure we're up there with those kinds of things. Why, are we, why do we have all that in America? Why? It's because we do not want God in America anymore. We've, we've, we've taken God out of everything. And God's just sitting content, waiting quietly until he says, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to give punishment where punishment is due. You know what makes it really sad that we lead the world in these categories? 
is because we have things that the world doesn't have. We have uh, freedom of religion. You can pick a religion, and pretty much anything in America, you can practice that religion. And so that means, like we said today, we are here safe and sound in Pleasant, Montana. Uh, we, there's, there's Bibles galore. Uh, I don't know how many Bibles you have. I have a lot of Bibles. I know here we have boxes full of Bibles. Uh, we have pew Bibles. I'm sure when you go home, you have a Bible by your nightstand or by the toilet or you have it on the bookshelf. We have Bibles, and the whole world does, has Bibles. There's bookstores with Bibles. You go to the thrift store, every time we go, I'm seeing like three or four Bibles I could pick up if I wanted to just make a collection of Bibles. You can go online and you can read whatever version of Bible you want. <clears throat> you have internet preachers. The whole, the, all America does. That's the internet preachers. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, Alistair Begg, you can listen to better preaching all day long, every day. It will not hurt my feelings. But we have those things at our fingertips. Why do we leave in things like this? We have radio ministries, YNLP, KGLE, all across the nation. It's free. Why do we leave those in these categories? We have roughly 180 people in our town. We have three churches. We can fit everybody into this building because we have that few of people. Why does our country lead in these kind of categories? Anybody want to take a wild guess? I've said it about 17 times. It's because we do not want God in our country. I don't want that kind of conviction. I don't want that kind of oppression. I can't do whatever I want. I want my freedom to do and say and be whatever I want to be. And these are the consequences. We are reaping as a nation. Now you might say, you know what, Josh? I live in Pleasant, Montana, and I can say the same thing. I live in Pleasant, Montana. I go to church almost every Sunday. I vote. I, 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 I'm all for the police. I don't riot. You know, Pleasant is, is a really wonderful little town. When we moved here, uh, we moved from a place that was the size of Baker, and we locked our doors every night. We locked the cars in our, in our, the key doors in our key cars, and we walked our kids to school. We moved here, and I, I walked our kids to school, and Marcia Overland is kind of like, why? What's your, and I'm like, I don't know this town. <laughs> now I walk to school with them because I like to, and I get to see other kids. But at first, it was like, it's a protection thing. Uh, back home, there was, uh, once in a while, you'd have a car drive by that's trying to pick up a kid. You know, and it's like, that is not going to be my kid that's going to be picked up in somebody's car and hauled off to who knows where, and that hopefully I get to see them again. And we can look and say, you know what, it's not my fault. And I look at you and say, I don't think it's your fault that our country is like this. Specifically as you as a person, but guess what Daniel was? He was as righteous as they come. It was not his fault either. But he was reaping the consequences of the, the sins of his nation. We reap the consequences of our own sins, but we also reap the consequences of the sins of our nation. So what did Daniel do? Daniel's response, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to, my, to the Lord my God and I confessed. He was determined that he was going to pray. He set his face. He was determined in his mind. Nothing was going to stop him from going to the Lord in prayer. He, verse 3 says he pleaded with the Lord his God. It wasn't like this, okay, oh yeah, I got this quick, I'm driving down the road, a quick passing prayer, which those are good. You know, a quick meal and then say, thank you, God, please bless our country. That's good. 
But Daniel said, I'm going to devote time to this, to praying for this, because this is a big, serious issue. Verse 3 says that Daniel fasted. Anybody know what fasting means? It means I don't eat, right? Daniel says, this is big enough to me. I'm going to set aside eating in order to pray. And it wasn't the kind of thing like, okay, I'm not going to fast. I'm, I'm going to fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But when it comes 8 o'clock at night, I'm going to make up for it. Right? It's not that kind of thing where I'm going to eat all three meals at 8 o'clock at night. He just sacrificed it. He just gave it up. And I think that's the idea behind fasting is to give up something that I really want to, to spend time with God and to show God how serious I am. And that's what Daniel did. He wore sackcloth and ashes, which is like a mesh, uncomfortable clothing. He had ash on his head. It was a sign of bitter weeping, of sorrow. Everybody who looked at somebody in that situation knew that their heart was breaking, knew that they were sad beyond sad. They would tear their clothes. It was just a, a sign of mourning. And that's what Daniel was doing because it meant that much to him, even though he did absolutely nothing for the consequences that he was facing. And Daniel, verse 4, says, Daniel confessed. And he says, we. He's lumping himself in. We as a nation are like this. He's confessing his own sins, but he's also confessing the sins of that world. He's not saying, or of his people, he's not saying, Joe Schmo did this, and Josh did this, and so-and-so did that. He's just saying, we as a nation have turned our backs away from you, God. And we are sorry. We are pleading with you, God, for your forgiveness, for your grace. <clears throat> I want to ask you, what is your response going to be? You live in this nation. Daniel lived in his. You live in a nation. You are going to reap the consequences of our nation's decisions. When we get an elected official, when we have, uh, if riots and things like that ever make it to here, at some point, it is going to affect us. I feel like we're safe. I feel like we're in a bubble. But at some point, it is going to affect us what our country decides to do. What are you going to do? You know, you could do the negative responses and say, yeah, that's nice. Those poor suckers, they deserve everything they're getting, so enjoy it. They're, they're rioting. They're wreaking havoc. They're, they're doing all those kinds of things. Let them endure the consequences of what their sins deserve. Or you could just leave and say, okay, Glad I did my time for the day and forget this and I'm, I'm going off to my, my football game. Or you can um, you could say, I'm, I'm just, I'll pray for myself, but I'm not going to pray for anybody else. Those are all negative kinds of things. Yes, pray for yourself, but the idea is to do something positive because of this. And I'm, uh, this idea of praying for our nation, I know isn't something that everybody says, Yahoo, that's what I want to do. Daniel fasted and prayed, I want to do that. You know, prayer isn't something that most Christians are known for. We're known for not spending time in prayer. Yes, we'll pray for our food, but to dedicate, I mean, prayer meetings, you know, or dedicate time to, to get to, to, to pray is not something that Christians excel at. And I admit it. I don't, I don't look forward to what I'm telling you to do, to, to spend quality time in prayer with the Lord. Daniel fasted. And that, he's giving up something. So I want to challenge you. Give up something to pray for our nation. And I know Saturday comes around. And I know there's chores. I know there's sleeping in. I know there's homework. I know there's sports. I know there's family. All those kinds of things that are going on in everybody's life. And I want to challenge you to, to give up something. A meal. 
Give up a half-hour TV show that you really like. Give up visiting with a friend for the day. Something. Give up something to spend time in, uh, in prayer with to the Lord. Yeah, this return, the return.org, you know, that's going to be kind of an all-day event. I mean, if you really want to go gung-ho, get on your knees and pray for a day. Um, but this, this is, it's a good thing that people have put on to say, you know what, let's corporately join together in prayer. I want to be one of those people to see something change, and I want to say I was a part of that. I don't want to be the person who just ignores it and forgets about it, and wow, our, our country has this amazing turnaround, and oops, I forgot to pray. I want to be the guy who prayed, and look what God did. So I want to encourage you to pray on behalf of our nation. And it doesn't just have to be on Saturday. That's the National Day of Prayer. We can start praying today. You can quit listening to me the rest of the time and pray today, right now. You can pray at home with your family. You can pray in the car, wherever you're at. Our nation needs help. Our nation needs prayer. Things that I would suggest to pray for, for a spiritual revival across our land. There are a lot of saved people who are, who are walking away from the Lord, who are treating God like, you know, like it's not really that big a deal, like it's not that important. I would pray for a spiritual revival that God would rekindle that fire under all those people. But guess what? Somebody could be praying that God would rekindle that fire on all of us. So you might as well pray that God rekindles that fire under us as well. That we have a spiritual revival, a new spiritual energy to love the Lord and to serve the Lord and to read his word and put it into practice. But also a spiritual revival for the unsaved people. There's a whole world out there that needs Jesus. That's why they act the way that they do. It's terrible, it's stupid, but they act that way because they need Jesus. We need to pray for a spiritual revival. We need to be repentant of our own sins. You know, the idea behind repentance is, I used to do this. Now I don't do it anymore. I went the opposite direction. I'm not, the world out there is not the only guilty people. I'm a guilty person too. I still sin. I need to pray for forgiveness and for repentance over my own sin like Daniel did for his. We can pray for unity of, an, of our nation between blacks and whites, between Democrats and Republicans, between uh, people who the upper class and the lower class, between the cool kids and the not cool kids. Pray for unity in our nation. Pray for godly leadership. You can pray for godly leadership in this church. You can pray for godly leadership in our government, in our schools, in our, across our nation's land, because we know that what, what those people decide, what they do trickles down and it affects everybody. So I pray for godly leadership. We can pray for our church, that we could be revival, that we could be excited, that we could be renewed, that we could get people out there and here, that we would all want to be a part of ministry, that we would all want to say, this is what I do at Pleasant Baptist Church. We can pray for our homes. We can pray for our town, for our community, because ultimately what we do affects other people, and what other people do affects us. So what is your response going to be? I don't, I'm not going to say come up here or raise your hand, but I want you to really think about what am I going to do about this? Am I going to ignore it and just kind of forget about this? Or am I going to be one of those people who pray? Now you might feel like, Josh, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with a little bit of faith that I have, and that's not much. And you might feel like nothing is going to happen. And I, I admit that. It's easy to feel like 
nothing's going to happen because our problem is so big. But there's, there's lots of times where people prayed and things did happen. But even if nothing happens, I, wanna, I just want to uh, just about close with uh, a passage from Malachi. Because after the people came back out of captivity, they went back to Jerusalem. They started building their temple and they built their walls and they were all moved back. Guess what they started doing again? They started going after other gods. They started walking away from the Lord. And, uh, but not everybody did. Uh, there were a few people who did, and let these, let, please let these verses encourage you. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. It says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and he heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as, as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will be a Again, see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. There was a scroll of remembrance of everybody who says, okay, God, I'm coming back to you. I'm going to keep, God said, I'm keeping track of this on a record. And I think the same thing. If you say, you know what, I'm going to be one of those people who pray, even though nothing happens, God is going to remember that. God will bless you no matter what our nation does. But the choice is yours. What are you going to do? You know, at some point, we reap what we sow. It's just life. And we, but we also reap the, the consequences of what our nation does that we did not deserve. And if we're going to be reaping those consequences, I want them to be good consequences. So I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray today. Pray up until the election. Whoever is elected, I want you to make it a determination to pray even after that point. Because no matter who's elected, we still need God's blessing and God's protection and God to change our land. The choice is yours. You can stand with God and you can pray for his people or you can say stand by yourself and, and do only care about yourself. The choice is yours. Please, please pray on behalf of our nation. God has asked us to do that and I want to encourage you to do that as well. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your grace and your forgiveness. We don't deserve these, your love and your patience and your understanding. But, God, you give it to us anyway. God, we are not perfect in here. God, we are trying, and I, I feel encouraged by people who are here today because I know there's other things going on, and so please bless them. But please, God, give us the determination to get things right with you in our own lives. And please give us the determination to pray for other people. God, because they need you. And what they do affects us as well. God, please change. Please heal our land. God, we need your grace. We need your touch. We need your forgiveness. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.